Father, thank you this morning uh, that we can gather as a church family, that we can look at the majesty of Christmas, because it really is miraculous, uh, all of the nuances that we've already looked at over the last few weeks, and the few that we'll look at this morning while we're together. We just pray that you would make uh, this season meaningful to us. We're, we're grateful for the, the times together with family, and gift giving, and exchanging, and eating way too much food. All of those things are amazing. But God, we don't want to lose what this season means, um, even with all those festivities, that it's very significant that your desire was to bring yourself into the world to redeem mankind. And, and this is the season we celebrate that entrance. So God, I pray for our hearts to be open, that maybe we might learn a thing or two, but more than anything, that we would be open to who you are in this season, in each one of our hearts, that it wouldn't just be, oh, this is Christmas. It would be like, wow, God had a plan. And that plan changes my life, changes our lives together. So pray that you would be with us. Open our ears and our hearts to hear what you'd want to say to each one of us this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, so Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to uh, focus in on that for the last time. And the next week, we'll start a new series on, on beginnings at the beginning of the year. And then we're going to jump into a study of Moses. So we're going to go through the book of Exodus together um, following this. So really looking forward to doing that with you. I, for a long time, have wanted to teach on the Ten Commandments um, and kind of make connections to the New Testament. But that'll be coming several weeks from now. But looking forward to doing that with you. So um, as we look at this, this passage, you know, we've covered several aspects of who Jesus is. The first week we talked about Jesus is fully human and he's fully God. And that those are significant attributes of understanding what it means to be the Christ. Like we will sometimes gloss over that. And I shared with you that many of the culture, many of the heresies or many of the aberrant re religions make Jesus something other than who he was. They don't want to make him God or man, or he actually came in the flesh. We talked about that in week one. So if you want to go review, you can do that. Um, we also looked at last week how God, God brings counsel into each one of our lives. Says that he's literally a mighty counselor. That, that he is very, very powerful. That he's a power of God. We looked at the fatherhood of God. We also looked at the peace of God. Um, this week, we're going to look at the government of God. And it, it'll be brief. Like some of you are thinking, like, man, you're going to do a full, like, hour teaching. No, it'll probably be about 15 minutes together this morning. Um, but if we could go ahead and get Isaiah chapter 9 up on the board, we can read this together. And then we'll walk through it just a little bit. And I know there's young people in the room, so I will stay focused because they may not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so let's go ahead. Verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9, it says, uh, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There it is. Of his increase, of his government, and of peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from henceforth, even forever. In the zeal of Jehovah, the, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will accomplish this or will perform this. So I, I wanted to talk to you this morning just briefly about this is really a concept of kingdoms. It says that, that there'd be increase in his government. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about the idea of government. We talked about it some last week. But what is Jesus governing? Like when you talk about there will be no like decreasing of his governance, he's talking about a kingdom that he rules and reigns. Now we all live in this world. Yes, pinch yourself, I'm alive, right? 
guys are all here this morning. You're like, yeah, I'm going to go eat food with family, and that's great. But the reality is this. You're talking about contrasting kingdoms. Like all of us experience the kingdoms of this world because we live in it. Some of us experience the kingdom of God, and that depends on where our hearts are. So if we receive Christ as Lord, you are now not only experiencing the government of the world because we live in a world that has governments, you're also experiencing the governance of God. And, and as we grow in him, we find that there's an increasing of this idea of his kingdom in our hearts. The apostle Paul, when he was talking about it, he narrowed it down. Like sometimes we think kingdoms, we think territory, land, regions. That's accurate. But in this case, look at what Paul says in Romans 14, verse 17. He says this about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God, it's not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he says, righteousness, peace, of listen, righteousness is simply this. Just think like this. You're in right standing with God. So when you're experiencing the government or the increase of God, you are righteous because he is what? Okay, you guys awake this morning. Help me out. That was a pretty easy answer. I set it up pretty good. You're righteous because he is what? Right there we go. Okay, got to, got to interact with me just a little bit. And it says righteousness and then peace. Now, peace is like, how many of you guys have a really good friend that's got your back? You got that like, that ride or die person in your life. Like they've got you. That, that's Jesus. So what this is saying is this peace, God is your ally. Man, if you ever needed somebody to have your back, is God a good person to have your back? Yeah, it, so Paul is setting this up. Now, by the way, is this physical arena? Is this like territory? Is this land? It's not, is it? It's talking about your heart, the way you think, the way you feel. He's talking about overseeing your actual soul. And he says, and you would have joy and the Holy Spirit. And this joy is, is a fullness inwardly. You know, I, I remember when I became a Christian, many of you will remember the same thing. There's a, there's a strange dichotomy that happens when you become a believer, that there's a, this sense of, of peace and joy with God. And initially, you can't really understand it other than you know that you feel different than you used to feel. Like for me, I would say it like this. I was sinning like crazy. All of a sudden, I felt clean. I didn't know why I felt clean. But what that was, was God's kingdom starting to, well, it, listen, it was his government increasing in me. Does this make sense? How many of you guys have ever had God's government increase inside of you? It's when his attributes start to rule and reign over your person. Changes the way you think. Changes the way you feel. It change, watch, watch. Changes your responses. It need, by the way, you know what needs to change your responses? Like, let me help you all. Some of your responses need to change. By, by the way, mine does. I'm your pastor. If mine does, so does yours. It, listen, this is him saying, I've got you if you'll surrender to it. If you'll live with me as your king, because every kingdom has a what? A king. If you'll live with me as your king, then it'll be this. Jesus will rule and reign over your entire world, but more experientially in your inner person. So when he's giving this prophecy in Isaiah that was way before, and then Paul later says, this is what the kingdom looks like. He's not talking about something external. He's talking about something internal. He's talking about when there's chaos all around and you can stay at peace. You ever had chaos all around and you're able to stay at peace? That, that's what he's talking about when God rules over those sorts of things in your life. So there's several things that he mentions going back to Isaiah 9 in verse 7. He says this, that there would be no end to the increase of his government. Now, I've already touched this some, but God's government is always doing this. It's always expanding. Now, how does that happen? 
Anybody want to try? You're like, oh, you're going to let me talk, Pastor? No, I'm not. I'm not giving you a mic. <laughs> just, just playing with y'all. How does it happen? L listen, listen. You're either governed by God or you're governed by the world. You know, there's no middle ground. Like, we want to make middle grounds. You know, but I, I love saying this to people. Like, one of the worst things you can do is the spiritual splits. Like, you got to get foot in the kingdom, and you got a foot in the world. And it's going further and further. I can't stretch. That's as far as I can go. That's terrible. I've never been limber my whole life. But you do the spiritual splits. Like, John, when he talked about it in Revelation, he said, he said, I'd rather that you were either hot or you were cold, but I don't want you to be lukewarm. In other words, don't do the spiritual splits. Put your feet in the kingdom of God and keep walking that way. What's interesting about God is he doesn't look for you to go from like barely knowing anything to like super Christian overnight. He just looks for you to continue to progress and grow and grow and grow because his kingdom or his government is always expanding in you. See, that takes this, though. Listen, just a few things. This is not intended to be comprehensive. Just a few thoughts about God expanding in you when you surrender. See, humility is a key to spiritual growth. Now, now how many of you guys struggle with being humble? Wait, wait, hold on. Let me put up my feet, too. No, <laughs> I, I struggle with being humble. I, I, I'm, I like accomplishment. I like success. I like conquering things. And it's really hard for me sometimes to say, I have an idea. God has an idea. Our ideas are different. So I need to humble myself, surrender to God's ideas. Does this make sense? One of the ways his government expands in you is when you surrender and you humble yourself. Another way, again, not comprehensive, just a few thoughts this morning. Transformation. This is when we agree with what he's doing in us. You know, you can fight with God. Where, where, Jacob, you're in here, so you wrestle, brother. You ever get somebody who's got you? They got you, got you? Yeah, that's God, by the way. That's how God does it. He gets you, gets you. You think, oh, I'll spin out of this move, or I'll win this way, or I'm slick, I'm fast, I'm strong. And God's like, yeah, not, not really. Let's just hold you right here. And to, see, see, it's way better when we agree with that transforming work, though. We say yes to what God is doing, and we, we agree with it, and we allow him to do this stuff in us. Another thing is, is this, and this is just one that stuck out to me. So if this doesn't mean anything to you, it's, it's one that was really meaningful to me, that that, that that expansion of God's kingdom in us is about possession. Like God owns you. Like I remember being in Bible college, and, and this was a really profound thought for me when I was in Bible college. I, I was a, a younger believer. I was probably about two or three years old as a Christian. This is like early 90s, a long time ago, a long time ago. And, and we we're in studying the book of Ephesians, and in Ephesians, Paul writes this, that you were sealed in the Holy Spirit which is, that's the sign of redemption, and you sealed in the Holy, and I remember thinking like, sealed, what does it mean to be sealed? It means that you're possessed by God. It's, it's like he owns you. He, he takes possession of who you are, and, and like, I like joking with people. I say, man, y'all are possessed. No, no, because that's not a good connotation in Christianity. We think possessed, that's evil, but you know that you're literally possessed by the spirit of the living God? You've been sealed in him, See, for me, that was really significant in allowing his work to expand in me. Yeah, that makes sense to you guys? When you understand that you belong to him, and in a very real sense, he owns you, the transforming work is more of an agreement instead of a battle. And the last one is this. And again, I could keep going. These are just a few that I thought stood out as I was studying, and that's peace. And, and peace is really this. Peace and presence are the same thing. You ever notice when God shows up, everything gets peaceful? 
Like it can be nuts in your life. And you can like, I, I have people say this to me all the time. Man, I came to church this morning. And it was so peaceful, pastor. It's because God's present. That's all that that's about. Or I have people say, man, how's it work? And my boss was going off. And they say, man, I, I ran to the bathroom real quick. And I went and prayed because that's the only place I could get away from people. And when I came back, it was all, it was all peaceful because you invited his presence. So that, that's a lot of what, I, what I'm talking about. So if you want God's government, if you will, to increase, you partner with it. You invite it. You surrender to it. You allow his transformation to work in you. You understand you belong to him. And then you press into his peace because his peace translates into his presence. And, and then he goes on in Isaiah 7, 9, verse 7, rather. He says he's going to establish his kingdom. And, and this establishing of his kingdom means he makes it firm. Like it's not wavering. It's established. It's not shakable. Like you think of your house. If your house was a shakable foundation, wouldn't that be unnerving a little bit? Like we were at my in-laws last night and they, they built their house because it's on sedimentary rock or something. It shifts. So the foundation was designed to shift. So we're all sitting in the house. The house goes, Grunk. my mother-in-law goes, that used to freak me out. I'm like, well, freak me out a little. I'm like, why is your house talking to us? She goes, no, it was designed that way to shift. But the foundation did, it was firm in a way that the house would not be shaken. See, that's what it's talking about. He will establish, make firm in you this idea. Like, like it's the same word that's used when God says that he created us or he fashioned us in his image. In other words, it's foundational that he made you to be conformed in his image, to be like him, to be made in the image of God. So, so look, think like this. Think like this. Here's the deal. God works with you. Somebody say, God works with me. Come on. He works with me. Sometimes God will work, listen, because of you. Listen, he will. Say, God works because of me. Yeah, yeah. The, the last one you're not going to like, sometimes God works in spite of you. <laughs> Someone say it with me. Sometimes God works in spite of me. See, he'll work with you. He'll work because of you. And sometimes he'll work in spite of you. Listen, because he's God. But what he's doing is he's saying this. Who I am is firmly established. It'll never change. One of the biggest dangers we get in is when we make God something other than what God says he was. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody recently, and I said, man, this idea of grace is so prevalent in our culture, and the grace of God is a beautiful thing, amen? We've all experienced it. We all love it. I said, but somewhere in there, justice is woven in, and those two things need to go hand in hand. Otherwise, if you don't have justice, grace is not as powerful as God intended it to be. There's never a consequence. If there's never a foundational, an absolute standard, then grace isn't as powerful as grace should be. And that is exactly like this is who God says he was. It's firm. It's established. It doesn't change. See, listen, God is saying this. If you'll come alongside with what I'm doing, I will complete the work I began in you. That sounds like a scripture, doesn't it? He will. But it's agreement. It's, it's walking with them. The next thing he says is he's going to uphold his kingdom. And this uphold means he sustains and he strengthens it. It means that, listen, God will make a way even when circumstances are impossible. Okay, watch. Mary, Mary conceives a child by the Holy Spirit. Impossible, yes? ridiculed like crazy. They go and they register. They can't even find a hotel room. They end up having Jesus in a manger. Incidentally, all of that was prophesied. 
That was all prophesied. It was foretold that that is how the savior of the world, the Christ, the anointed one would come. So sometimes we get into this like, God can be impossible, but he's not with me. He was impossible with himself. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. The nuances behind Jesus coming is so radical. It's like, you can't make this stuff up. You really can't. And so I look at it and I go, okay, God upholding his kingdom means this, that he'll take impossible situations and make them possible, listen, to build your faith and my faith. Man, I, there's so many times over the past few years for me personally that I've had to say, like, God, none of what's going on right now makes any sense at all. Anybody else ever felt that? Like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Listen, I want to encourage you, hang in there, it will. It may not make the sense you want it to make, for the record, but God always will bring back around this idea of strengthening the firmness of his governance and his kingdom inside of you. See, God upholding his kingdom, this is all about, all about his faithfulness in you and his faithfulness to you. This is because like God sustains and strengthens us because he's faithful, not because we are. And I love that I can trust that he'll come through regardless of what I'm doing. Somebody should say amen to that because that's really, really good news. And don't worry, I'm going to tie this into Christmas. If you're like, this don't feel like Christmas, Pastor. I'm getting there. Don't worry. I'm getting there. I promise. I'm going to tie it into Christmas at the very end. Then the last thing he says is this. Or, well, the thing before the last, rather. He says justice and righteousness are, are aspects of this kingdom that he'll establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. And, and when he's doing this, he's talking like justice, equity, fairness. But you got to think like this. God's justice is justice with purity. There are no ulterior motives with God. No one's trying to get one hand up. No one's trying to dominate anybody. God's like, hey, I'm God. You can have it any way you want, but when it's all said and done, my justice reigns and rules. Amen. And I'm pure. Like, like you should think like this, I want God's justice because a spanking from God is way better than a spanking from somebody in the world because somebody in the world might be trying to get one up on you. But God's will always be to make you better, closer to him, more conformed to his likeness. He says, man, justice is equity, fairness is purity. This is like God wanting you to experience his purity so that you can walk in it with testimony. Super powerful when you think of it that way. And then he says that, that he'll uphold it with righteousness. This is moral and ethical purity. Again, God does all of this stuff without there being anything that's full of sin or darkness. Like we honestly, we don't understand this. Like I try to wrap my brain around these ideas like sub surrendering or submitting to something that, without having to guard myself. You guys ever feel like you have to guard yourself? Come on, how many of y'all are married in the room? You ever held something back from your husband or wife because you were guarding yourself? Don't lie to me, you're all married. I know you know it's true. You don't say something because you're like, she might get mad, he might get mad. I don't want to show him the credit card bill. Christmas just went and I spent way too much money, whatever it was. I'm not talking about that kind of justice and righteousness. I'm talking about you can put anything on the table with God and he won't judge you for it. We don't know that, that type of justice and righteousness other than with God or people who are acting in kind with God. If you're not like covered by the spirit of God, you can't operate this way at all. See, God is doing this because he's trying to demonstrate his righteousness without any variance. There's no other way to do it except for God's way and his way is perfect. See, he's perfect, he's pure in the execution of everything he does, everything he does. And then he says this last thing, he says, by the way, this will be a forever kingdom. 
There's never been a forever kingdom ever in the entire world. Think of the most powerful nations we've known throughout history. You can go way back. You can go back to Assyria, Medo-Persia. You can come forward. You go to the Greeks, the Romans. Doesn't matter what world power you're speaking of. All of those kingdoms began. All of those kingdoms, every single one of them. This kingdom never ends. This kingdom has, has a starting point where Jesus comes into the world, never ends. Forever. Like, listen, listen, I love saying this to Christians. This is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. I love that. Like, because sometimes this world is stinky. Would you guys agree? Like, I love things. I love my family. I love different. But there's other. uh, Okay, well, I got to tell a story. This is a great story. I don't know that it has anything to do with the sermon, but it's fun. Okay, so far. So so we were out goofing off the other day. So Julia's home. She brought her boyfriend, got to meet Tyler. He's a really cool kid. I like them. If you're watching Tyler, way to go. Um, Anyways, I like Chandler, too. I don't want him to be jealous. That's Bella's boyfriend. Um, I like Ariana, too. That's Michael's girlfriend. There, I've covered everybody now. I'm safe. Just in case, I don't want anybody getting mad at me. So we go out into the desert. Um, by the way, this has nothing to do with sermon. I'll tie it back in, but, but we're, we're off off-roading. And you guys know us. We go out, goof off. I, we found mines. We got mines to go back to. We're going to go hunting. We didn't bring flashlights. So we walked like maybe 200 feet into this mine, pitch black, can't see your hand, and it's still going. I'm like, oh, maybe there's gold. Maybe we'll be rich in the middle. It's not going to be gold anyways. So, but we're flying in. like We're driving fire roads. And I'm probably going 50 miles an hour. And, and there's this rut from water. And I'm like, there was nothing, nothing I could do. It was like a perfect jump. So those of you who know, I drive a Toyota Sequoia. It's an older one, 2001. And it's kind of lifted. It's like, it's, it's ample. We got air in, in like an 8,000-pound SUV. And it happened so fast. Julia, God bless her, she did not have her seatbelt on. She didn't. So we're like, whoo, I hear, what? Because she's floating. She's floating. And I'm doing this number. Like, I hit the jump. I like, I hit the jump, and all I'm thinking is hit it straight. Like, I've done enough off-roading to know if you don't hit it straight, you roll. Like, this close. At 50 miles an hour, you're in the middle of the desert. You're, you're, Julie's not belt. Someone's getting hurt. And we go, and we landed. And, and God is my witness. This is what I thought. He doesn't want us home yet. I, I swear, I thought that. Because they're all laughing. They're like, whoa, I got air, Dad. And, I, and I'm the one, I know, I off-road a lot. I'm like, okay, you guys don't understand. I think an angel had his hand on the top of our SUV and went, okay, let's make sure. He, he thinks he's a good driver, but let's just make sure. And we landed, and we're safe, and we're here with you. And we were this close to going into the forever kingdom. But we're still this side of that forever kingdom. And I want you to understand that your whole life is made up of things that you do in the name of God that either ushers you a step further into that governance, that increasing, or you miss the opportunity to experience this side of forever. Because forever, we can't really measure. Y'all understand that. Like forever is like forever. We try to do it with time. It doesn't. There's no way to measure it. But we know this, that as we surrender to this in this season, we live in it forever. I don't know if you ever thought about this. There's never a time if you've accepted Christ, there's never a time in your whole life that you will not know him. That's wild to me. And, and the way that God promises it is once you leave this earth and you go into his kingdom, literally his kingdom, 
That experience is greater peace, greater power, greater strength, greater authority than even what you know on earth. Like this is just the training ground, if you will. See, to me, that is so like humbling and powerful that God is saying, I'm trying to get you to understand that there's a greater release. There's a greater goodness. And he says, this will be forever, continuous, perpetual, everlasting. It'll never, ever go away. See, and God does this work within our sinful world. Listen, through a baby born in a manger, vulnerable. That's nuts. That's nuts. Like, I'm just telling you, if you don't see the miracle in that prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, your heart might be a little cold or hard toward the idea of majesty or spirituality at all. Because there's no way you solve the issue of man's problem, man's sin, by bringing a baby vulnerable into the world and saying, this is the solution. That's nuts. I mean, would you all agree with me? Like, logically, isn't that crazy? That's crazy. And God says, oh, by the way, this will be everlasting. I mean, it's going to be so critical that even when he's born, they're going to try to kill him. Before he's even old enough to defend himself, they're going to try to kill him. Then he grows. They're still going to try to kill him. They ultimately kill him. And you go, all but Christmas, baby? See, the father gives us the son who was fully human and fully God to solve the issue of sin. Talked about that in the prior weeks. That's what he did. He brought about justice and righteousness that we would not otherwise experience. He brought peace into our lives at a deeper level than we would ever know. Like, I love this statement. It's from Bill Johnson. He said, peace is not the absence of war. It's the presence of God. It's not the absence of war. You're in a war. It's a spiritual one. You are in a war. And he says, man, that's not peace. Peace is having God present with you within those circumstances. And that's what came, the revealing of his kingdom. He said it would never end. Now we fast forward to Luke's gospel. You're like, so what does this mean? Old Testament, we've been talking Old Testament, all these attributes of God. I know it's Christmas. I told you I'd be short. I'm wrapping up right now. Can you guys believe that? Holy cow. <laughs> I've hardly even gotten going. Like, I'm warming up right now. My engine's finally at running temperature. <laughs> Luke chapter 1, verse 30, he says this. The, the angel said to her, speaking to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Incidentally, Luke's prophecy. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Incidentally, that was a prophecy that the Savior, the Messiah, would come from Jacob's line. Listen, and his kingdom will have no end. He's directly quoting Luke. Luke is directly quoting Isaiah. See, Mary receives a message from an angel, and the angel quotes Isaiah's message from hundreds of years earlier, identical, precise. And he says, this kingdom will have no end. So, so how do you experience this? Like, how do you walk into this? And listen, I would be remiss on Christmas morning and not say you fully dive into opening your heart to God. If you've never done it, you should do it. 
Like some people go, well, does that mean do I, that I, do I come up front and say, dear Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins? You don't have to come up front to do that. You can do that with him. But you have to live out that profession of faith on a daily basis. That's an invitation more than it is a moment at the altar. Like, can I give you guys, this a Pastor James who wants to say, we love you, Pastor James Kong. Okay. I think the worst thing we've ever done for Christianity is do an altar call with 30 seconds and then expect that to be the lasting evidence of faith in someone's life. How many of you guys have been to an altar more than once? I'd done it. I did it several times before it took. <laughs> but when it took it, like I remember like, yeah, they're right. I should probably change. But when I really surrendered my heart to God, there was a distinct transformation. And then it kept growing. But the way that it grew, listen, this is really important. Like I said, this Pastor James woman, this is free captive audience. You don't get to leave. <laughs> Somebody got in my life and helped me grow. It wasn't 30 seconds at the altar. Or in my case, 30 seconds on my, my lounge chair in my living room with my buddy praying for me. It wasn't those 30 seconds. It was the 30 seconds upon 30 seconds that were after that were pastors and other leaders and people were loving me and speaking into me. And they were helping me see that just showing up church once in a while or coming to the front to get prayer, those are great things, incidentally. They're not wrong. But that won't change you. Change you, is, that's a partnership. That's a walking with, that's a lifestyle. Man, and, and when I started to grow like that, many of you understand exactly what, what I'm saying. You're like, man, I remember when I said yes 100%, and I watched growth really start to like, just excel, went super fast. But when you only do it sporadically, it's not like God left, but it's not deep enough to help you grow. Watch, to change you so that you can change those around you. This makes sense? See, because that's what Jesus did. He didn't come into the world only to fulfill a prophecy or multiple, literally actually over 300 of them. You're like 300, over 300, I think 42 is the number of prophecies of his first coming fulfilled. That's wild. Like three, by different authors, different regions, different languages, and it all came to pass the way that, they, that he said it would. And then he shows up vulnerable, vulnerable as a baby to get snuffed out by this edict, kill all the babies under two. And we think, wow, how does God manage to work? It's impossible. It's a miracle. But, but watch, this is the key. This is the thing that made it different for Mary. This is the thing, listen, that will make it different for you and I. Watch her response. This is verse 38. Look at her response. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. By the way, that bond slave, I choose you. That's what that means. Doesn't mean you're a slave by force. It means you're a slave by choice. May it be done according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's a partnership with what God is up to. So we do Christmas and we open gifts and we celebrate. We have a great time. Some of you are going to go to family. Some of you already been with family. Some of you are sick of family. You know, like, you're like, I'm over it. But listen, listen, listen. Your heart's posture in a Christmas season should be this. I'm the bond slave of God. Do in me what you need to do in me. Like your, your attitude of heart should be, I want your kingdom to expand in me. I want to have an attitude of heart like Mary had. Listen, if you're in a season that's difficult, what I just said is super hard because if you're in a season that's difficult, often this is how we feel. Like God did this to me. Why, or, or you might say something more like this, God allowed it to happen. I wonder if Mary felt that way. 
Why would you choose a 15-year-old virgin girl and shame her? That's what happened to her. You guys, like, we didn't study that this Christmas. That's what happened to her. You, well, the Holy Spirit got you pregnant? Are you serious? And you call yourself a Christian, and you too? Oh, there's no way about you. That, that's the, the accusations that are all rumbling around her life. And her response in the middle of all of the, the turmoil she has experienced and is going to experience is this. I'm the bond slave of God. Do with me whatever you want to do. Listen, you want your next year, you want 2023 to be powerful for you? Make that your mantra. Make that the, man, I'm the bond slave of God. Do to me as you wish. Change my heart as you wish. Lead my life as you see fit. Change me from the inside out. Let your kingdom expand in me. See, I, 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 man, this is Christmas. I can't believe I'm going here, but just hang with me and then I'm going to pray for you and we're going to go home. I think that we're in maybe one of the most critical times I've ever seen in history. That's honestly what I've had a lot of people say, you think it's the end of the world? I'm going to suffer that. Jesus said, I don't know the day or the hour. I'm going to leave it with God, okay? But will I say that we're in a more critical season than we've ever seen in my lifetime? Recent history? What about Nazi Germany? That's pretty, it was. I think we're in, in more precarious times than that. So listen, the smartest thing you can do is dial into who God is so you're, you're in tune with how he's moving what he's doing. Say, I am your bond slave God. I will go where you want. I will do what you want to do. Because that's the posture of heart that no matter what comes, you're in his presence walking side by side. Does this make sense, church? So Jesus' coming was way, way more powerful than just, hey, gifts and Christmas trees, and that's all fun. Like I see some of your clothing, it looks like you just got it. It's all fun. <laughs> I was going to wear my Crocs. My son got me Crocs. I'm like, it doesn't really match what I'm wearing. I should have done it anyways. would have been fun. But, but I love stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the Crocs don't change my life. Jesus does. All right, let me pray for you all. I'll keep preaching at you. Let me pray for you all. Father, I, I want to thank you that we could gather and worship on Christmas morning. And Jesus, I pray that all of the attributes that, that Isaiah prophesied of your, your government expanding, of your kingdom being established, upheld, of it being something that's ever increasing, like Jesus, you even said of your kingdom that it just keeps expanding, it keeps growing. I pray that you would allow that to happen with us, your kids, your children that you would manifest your presence in our lives in such a way that we would know that you are growing to rule and reign over our lives, our hearts, our minds, over our stuff even for that matter. So God, as we celebrate Christmas, we want to say thank you that you did all of the, the theological stuff we talked about over the last few weeks of solving the issue of sin, of bringing a Savior, a Messiah. But this morning, I want to pray over each one of our hearts that we would have an attitude of heart like Mary. And behold, let it be done to me as you wish. God, I choose to be your servant, your slave. And God, I pray this season, this next year, that we would walk closely, that even with all the worldwide turmoil and craziness going on, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. God, help us in the situations in each of our lives. We all have them. We all have areas that we need answers, direction, clarity. And I pray, God, that you would do that. And I pray more than anything that particularly for those of us who have either never put you on the throne of our lives 
or, or maybe we put you there and we took you off, that we would reposition you as the person who's on the throne of our life, that we would give you room for your kingdom to expand in us. So God, as we, uh, as we celebrate Christmas, as we prepare to go today, pray that we would go with, with new thinking, full hearts. Holy Spirit, work this message into us, even as the hours and days come, that you would keep stirring it to remembrance of prioritizing who you are in our lives. God, for those online, I pray that you would bless them, that they would enjoy family time and they would enjoy worship and fellowship. But God, more importantly than all of that, I pray that we would enjoy you this season. Make yourself powerful, real. Do your providential work in each one of our lives. God, we're grateful for Christmas. We're grateful for your goodness. As we go today, keep us safe and blessed and let us be a blessing to those we're with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, hey, Merry Christmas to you all from not only Pastor James, but from some of his and the staff. We love you guys. I pray that as you go off, you enjoy food and family or whatever you're going to go get into. And I'm going to go jump my truck again. No, I'm playing. All right. God bless you guys. We'll see you later.